Welcome back to the Limehouse Podcast. This is me, your host, William Porteous. I hope you are well. I hope you are invested in your your life right now and it's all going smoothly and no one's giving you too much shit. And if they are, time to go away because life's too short, let me tell you. My God, I am really tired at this very moment in time really, really on the brink of going, should I just do this tomorrow? Well, anyway, I'm going to do it now because I just don't have any time to do it tomorrow. Uh, I'm really excited about this one, though, because Kate Kate Weinberg, who I'm speaking, I've spoken to, who you will hear in but a few moments, is one, one hell of a an author and person. It's a great story. How I, I think what's really interesting, how she really opens up essentially about her self-doubt and how it took her a long time to get invested in herself to write this book and her journey into that process, which obviously can translate into anything that you're going through at the moment. I suppose, you know, if you're, you've been umming and ahhing about doing anything creative or, you know, it doesn't even have to be creative, it could be anything. Um, self-confidence or their lack of is is it's brutal we all go through it day in day out we go through it don't we my god it's it's insane i think there comes a time though where you just go i'm done done with this self-doubt and i i'm just gonna do it i'm just gonna crack on at least that's how uh i think that's what's going on in my life at the moment but how are you have you had any time to listen to say paul salopek that episode Whoa. What a dude. What a guy. Slow journalism at its finest. Tracing the ancestors. Our ancestors thousands upon thousands of years ago. From Ethiopia all the way down to Cape Horn, Argentina. It's insane. And he's been doing it for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years. Journeying on foot. It's incredible. Check it out, man. Out of Eden. It's insane. It's wonderful. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to go. You can tell I'm, I'm really struggling, really tired. So, listen, if you do want to reach out to me, uh, chit-chat, catch up, let me know what you think of the show. Hell, you know, post a picture of your cat. I don't know. You can do that on um, Instagram, the Limehouse podcast on Instagram. And Limehouse Pod on Twitter. Limehouse Pod. So yeah, do those things. Enjoy yourself. Of course, some days are diamonds.co.uk for my short film. And the Limehouse Podcast blog, which is up there. And anything else that takes your fancy. I mean, it's a, you know, got loads on there. One or two pictures as well. Some days are diamonds.co.uk. But yeah, do check out Kate Weinberg's book, The Truants, which is an absolute brilliant page turner i i mean fantastic it's kind of a little bit patricia highsmithy as you all know i love patricia highsmith there's lots of modern elements in there first person narrative it's fantastic it, it, it's 
there's a lot going on in that book under the surface really fantastic it, it's a page turner but in a really subtle almost i would say rhythmically trance-like at times there's an element to it that really pulls you in you realize you're seven chapters in you're like jesus that felt like five minutes it's amazing it's wonderful writing so yeah check it out the truants by kate weinberg i'll see you soon look after yourself don't do anything too crazy but if you do let me know life's so boring right now it'd be good to hear something crazy genuinely mean that i don't know maybe just running around naked in your pants eating marmite and strawberry jam sandwiches you know tell me about it or don't you know yeah but um how, how are you doing anyway how's 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 lockdown been for you so far <laughs> Yeah, it's been pretty good. I've been trying to juggle um, little kids and uh, on and, and my paperback launch and uh, this Waterstone oh thing happening, and also dive into my my second book. So um, it's been a series of, of <laughs> revolving um, <laughs> projects, but um, I like that. I like being busy. So Revol- <laughs> revolving projects and nightmares. Yeah. yeah. It oh will, my goodness! I, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure whether they're revolving or or I'm revolving, but it certainly feels like my head's spinning. God, I bet, I bet. Hey, it's really exciting that you're writing a second book because I, I didn't, I didn't want to be all like fanboy, but I definitely wanted to be like, please be writing another one, please. Oh, you know, thank so you. That's yeah, good yeah, to hear. Yeah. Fanboy away! I'm very happy, <laughs> happy you enjoyed it. <laughs> Yeah, my 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 friend and I, uh, Andrew Wilson, who I think you know quite well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Andrew's yeah. great. Yeah, he's a good guy. He he he's chatted with me on the show before and um, about his autobiography of um, Patricia Highsmith, who's like one of my absolute heroes. And she gets, um, a name, she gets a name check in my book, actually. I know, I know. And I was I was going to say a couple of things in your book, actually, and. I th- we'll start at the beginning in a second, but I did want, before I forget, um, you've got a character in there called Steadman, right? Steady. Um, yeah. Is that, a, is that a hint to Ralph Steadman? Uh, no, no. I okay. just, no, it wasn't. It was, um, he, I, I, he started, I wanted to, I've always loved, fight, actually, I say I loved it, but actually I agonise over names for characters. Oh, um, God, yeah. Because until they're right, then the character feels really flat. It's like they're two-dimensional, and then you get the name, and suddenly they've got um, another dimension and shadows and texture, and then and then I have to stick with it. So much that um, my character, Lorna, who I told myself through the book I would change her name by the time I got to the end of the manuscript because she was based on a real Lorna, uh, and I just couldn't do it. Just couldn't do it. Got to the end of it and thought, okay, yeah. right now, there's so many names. I sort of was leafing through baby name books trying to find <laughs> what it would work. And I was like, no, I'm afraid she's she's Lorna to me now. I can't. Oh, this completely. And and what really really helped is um is I I I partly envisaged a friend of mine called Lorna, who would have been in and around that age bracket. I, I made her a bit younger, but like, um, 
yeah and it really really worked for me but it's the only time i've ever like done that because normally uh even when and even when a writer's describing someone to the absolute nth degree in their physical appearance i still i still can't i still can't envisage them so i have like this sort of almost blank face but just a general feeling of the character which is uh, maybe that's a dyslexic thing i don't know but i i I, 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 I have that with geography in books so there are some writers that will take great pains to explain the layout of a house or a town or whatever it is and i'm just it feels a bit like when people give me directions in their car and i sort of nod and say yes and i've I've, they've lost me by the second direction and i kind of politely and i can't i can't see the geography of something when it's described to me um Speaking of Highsmith, there's this wonderful bit in Strangers on a Train where he has to write this map. He has to draw this map for the murder of of this house and all the kind of bits that he needs to step around and the floorboards that will creep. And there's this incredible detail of this house and I've got, my mind just goes completely blank. So yeah, I do, characters I can, I I can, um, I'm happy for them to be conjured by a writer but places forget it no i think i think you're right and and also i struggle with that completely i can i absolutely um connect with you on that one because it happens time and time again in books um i i i, I love lord of the rings so i'm very grateful for any maps that are drawn and what have you uh and uh and i, I oh god i love lord of the rings it's absolutely fantastic and i'm not really I'm not really a fantasist as such. Is that a right thing to say or does that make me sound like a sexual deviant? I don't really know. I was just, one, I was just wondering. I yeah, just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it'd be really... Oh, do you know, just you touched on Strangers on a Train just just, just quickly. I haven't read that book. I've, I, I tried the first chapter and all I could do, I couldn't get the film characters out of my head because I've seen it so many times. And ah. I just couldn't... And it kind of... It actually didn't work like because I, I, i'd seen the film but then again with the talented mr ripley it really worked so i don't know what the hell was going on there maybe because it, the black and white version didn't sit with me as well as the, the talented mr ripley version i don't know it's just weird i don't know it's funny how too much too much of someone's interpretation can really hamper your imagination i sometimes find that if i research over research something that i'm a bit stuffed i kind of need to get about 50% of my facts and then leave the rest blank. You know, if I get too deep in, then, um, then, then kind of reality sort of squeezes my, my, the sort of freedom of my imagination a bit. And I feel a little bit, um, hemmed yeah. in. You, you end up becoming like Simon Sharma or something or Anthony Beaver or what have you, <laughs> rather than just like a free form, like, hey, I'm going to do this, I, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Kate, where, for, for, I mean, for me, I'll give you an account of where I thought I thought I I'm not a writer, but I do write blah blah blah, like write film script here and there, and uh, doing a bit of writing at the moment. When I first started out, um, I realised that I loved it. I was 12 years old, and I wrote a, a crappy Bernard Cornwell, Cornwell rip off of the Battle of Waterloo. Got it read out in English class and had it denounced by the English teacher, and was absolutely <laughs> devastated. But it was. Was there a like Democene moment for you? Was when did you kind of get that sort of ping in your like well, you that loved I be, that I wanted to yeah. be a writer or could be a writer? Um, Both, I guess. Yeah, I think I I can I can't predate the feeling of wanting to be a writer. I just always thought that that was what I wanted to be. That I had um, 
if anything, I feel like it was it was innate. I just uh, always associated the fact that I loved reading with the natural next step, which was that somehow I was going to create the stories too. And um, my love of books definitely comes from my dad. So um, when I was three and a half years old, my um, I lost my mother and my dad, who was left with these three bereaved daughters, really didn't know what to do. And the one thing he did was just read to us every night, one by one. Yeah. Um, and he read way above our age range. So I remember he was kind of, you know, reading out Judy Obscure. Tolstoy. Yeah. You will like it. Yes, exactly. And I kind and I went along with it because this was, you know, this was happy time with my dad. And um, and I just always thought books are my thing and therefore I want to write stories. Um, and I suppose if anything, it happened the other way around, which is when I got into my mid twenties, I thought, shit, maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe I'm wrong about this. I'm, I, I'm not yeah. sure that I'm good enough. I'm not sure this is going to happen. Um, I've always just assumed it. I sort of had a crisis of faith. Um, and, um, and that lasted, that lasted quite a while. I mean, I, I always hoped, but I went through a long period where I just thought, shit, I don't think I'm going to get this across the line. Can you talk about like your crisis of faith a little bit? Like, could I try and yeah. kind of like, uh, I hate using this word, but it's so useful. Unpack or that phrase, unpack it a bit because it is useful to people that would be connecting to you via this podcast yeah. because of you are a writer, you've written mm -hmm. an amazing book and they want, you know, they want to know your process. But also I think they kind of, people want to know, you know, life ain't perfect and they want to know what happens in that unperfect moment, time of what have you. Yeah, well, my, 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 my journey in inverted commas as a writer couldn't have been less perfect or smooth. And um, there was there was every kind of pitfall and lots of them were were self-inflicted. But um, I think the confidence crisis came a little bit at the beginning because of expectations I had of myself, which was I, I did do well at creative writing. I was sort of streamed um, through kind of English and into university in a way that made me feel that I had some talent. Uh, and then I went and did this master's degree at UEA, which was, uh, which was supposed to be a sort of pinnacle of creative writing degrees. And, and then I was sort of left with myself and I, I just got stuck. I couldn't find, um, you know, this is terrible, this, this terrible phrase uh, that all writers have, which is sort of finding their voice, which actually I think is almost as bad as being told to be yourself in an interview. It's, <laughs> it's just a horrible feeling, which is, well, of course, if I, if I knew where to look for it. <laughs> um, right. So, yeah. So I, so I, I struggled with what that meant. Yeah. I think I was just very, self-conscious and i was mm. acutely aware of wanting to be a writer that other people liked um and so i kept on writing and rewriting the beginnings of novels thinking that you know if i if i hacked away at it enough that somehow i'd get to this sort of this this um this perfect piece of truth and this um the writing would start to sing and um but I, but I wouldn't show anyone anything. And I just kept on going around in circles. Uh, 
And I remember having a late night drink with a friend who's an artist, really talented um, painter. And he said, and I was in my mid twenties and he said, uh, has it ever occurred to you that you just might not be good enough? And of course, that's not something that people say. I mean, he hadn't seen in my work, but going by the fact that I'd had all these sort of endless starts and stops, it was a it was a really valid question. Jesus. And um, yeah. yeah, and then I kind of went down that wormhole for a bit, which was I don't I don't think I am. Um, God, that must I have got, been really dark. Yeah, it was really hard, um, but at the same time, it was helpful because I stopped trying to tackle it head on and I started mm. writing in different ways. So uh, I went into journalism, I started ghostwriting. I, so I was ghostwriting thrillers that um, you know weren't in any kind of voice that I would have um, called my own. Uh, and I kind of reversed in by by writing stuff that didn't matter as much to me. Yeah. And I think the weight of, of um, wanting it so much and being so desperate to kind of find my voice in a way that felt meaningful to me meant that I was just, I was, I was so anxious every time I sat down to write. It was never going to happen. Um, yeah. So I kind of tricked myself and reversed my way back into um, a... <clears throat> And I, and I think somewhere along the line, I realized that I'd have to give up the idea that I was going to be a certain type of writer, which was this sort of madly original writer that, that, that would, you know, you'd pick up your, my book and it would change your life. And I had to sort of get, I had to get out of that uh, very fictional mindset that somehow I was almost sort of creating the idea of myself myself as a character my yeah. writing myself as a character and i had to bring it back down to reality and say well maybe i can just tell a story that would be really gripping or really that, that the characters would feel quite real and let's see where that goes yeah. uh, and so i lowered my expectations quite a lot and i wrote a sort of reasonably crappy first draft and then i got to hack away at it because once you've got something then suddenly it's it's possible. But when you're playing around with the idea of nothing, you're screwed. Yeah, yeah. No, you've, you've given me about a million and a half questions and I don't even know where to start. Like, I think you've described so well how many creative people, like the cycle that they go through, um, the, the journey where they have to end up. Um, I, I think it's, that's pretty fascinating to me what you've described there because I totally relate to it. I haven't read my first book, well, obviously, but um, as a creative person, it is, it's hard, isn't it, to know how far you go down that avenue before you just go, am I good enough? And when your mate says that to you, that's bloody hard to take, you know, and you, you have to pursue it. Where I mean, how, where do you find that from? Where do you find that, that, that energy, as it were, to, to keep going? So I think it was trying to, swap in the idea of perfection swap out my perfectionism and then swap in uh stamina so just think okay i'm just gonna i'm just gonna have at this until it's done and it doesn't have to be perfect rather than it's got to be perfect as i go along yeah. um so and once i started seeing it as a stamina game uh it it felt entirely 
possible because I think I'm I'm quite good at the long march. Um, what I'm what I was what what I she says with Mao the painting of Mao behind us. Um, but but what, what what I'm uh, what I'm not good at is um, sitting in front of a page, uh, feeling frazzled by the idea that everyone I respect and admire is going to be looking at it. And oh God! Me. And I don't know if that's where you are. Whether whether you're maybe thinking too much about who's going to read it. I think I do. You know, I've given up on that. I've given up. I don't want to be a writer anymore. But I, I definitely know exactly what you're talking about. People who will just stare at a computer and the you know the, the cursor just going. And yeah. You know, uh, I mean, was it? I think it was. Um, yeah, I think it might have been Hunter S. Thompson that used to write out the first few lines of paragraphs of uh, The Great Gatsby just to get himself going, and then and then obviously he went off on his own tangent. Was completely. That's a really good idea. In my younger years, yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. Like yeah. <laughs> but you did touch on that earlier because you said you wrote out um, books and then uh, wrote out passages from books, but then tried to rewrite them. Was that a technique that you got brought was brought to you, or you? Oh, I see. That? No, the ghosting. Well, I mean, I do a lot of. I edit as well. Um, yeah. I freelance edit on the side, so um, it, it is, and that is a slightly different skill. Uh, very enjoyable. It's sort of more yeah. like kind of crossword puzzles or cracking codes than writing. But um, but the ghostwriting, no, that started off as part of an editing process. And then I kind of collaborated with a writer and, okay. and rewrote some of his. But I that was more about um, just throwing myself into a writing project, which didn't have my name on it. Yeah. Um, and not just throwing my ego out, out the window but also my inhibitions at the same time so it just meant that I was sitting with uh, whatever toolbox I had of my skills that I'd learnt at that point um, but without that kind of petrifying sense of of marking my own homework in that way God, yeah yeah but you know by the way I'm saying this as if I've kind of gone through it and actually as I teeter on the brink of kind of the deep dive that is um is my next novel um of which you know i've kind of developed quite a lot and i'm i'm ready to really to really kind of make the plunge um yeah. i feel all those all those same fears are rushing back up at me you know i think it's a myth that that ever goes um and i think that's probably necessary i guess it's like the adrenaline that performers get or whatever i think you have to kind of go yeah. through, through that just just be as as mad batshit crazy and as i don't know pig-headed as uh patricia highsmith and you'll be fine yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep, keep a bunch of snails in my in my handbag for company Abs yeah. absolutely <laughs> uh, so so where where did the because i know you went to the um to norwich university is that right yeah it's yeah so, the uk yeah where, where did the idea for the for the truants come from where, what was it born out of um so because I'd written for so long, there's actually, there's the kind of the whole layer cake of, of, of my life in different Great film, films. great film. <laughs> yeah, um, that kind of go into, <laughs> go into my, um, that sort of feed into my novel. So my first short story I ever wrote was, ended up being a monologue for one of my characters, um, Alec about this moment in time as a boy when he stopped, he was able to stop time. That came yeah. from a short 
yeah um that's sorry that but that's a really extraordinary part of the book that i really loved i thought wow this is gonna this is yeah this is great sorry carry on so good um uh but the all the campus bit was um was inspired by um partly by my my year at the uea um partly because as an undergraduate at another university i'd never really met those kind of dazzling heightened kind of characters that i really wanted to meet uh, or a mentor i was always kind of desperate for a teacher mentor and then when i was at uea i i had the um massive stroke of luck to be taught by lorna sage who was this incredibly irreverent um unconventional um brilliant teacher and uh and i she was very sick when i was um when I was there, when I was being taught by her and I, 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 you know, idolized her. I thought she was incredible. She totally ripped up the way I'd been thinking about books and put it all together in a different order. And um, she died shortly after I left and at her memorial service, a, uh, a writer friend of mine turned around to me because I was, I was cut up and said, you know what, you'll write about her one day. Um, so she is the basis of the Lorna character in the book pushed her into a kind of morally much more ambiguous place but the effect she has as a teacher that kind of way that she held your attention and uh opened up brain that was that was inspired by the real life Lorna Sage oh wow yeah I had that with my um, English teacher Mr Jones he he sadly died uh very exceptionally uh mid 40s I guess wow um yeah i think he yeah he i think he overdosed but it's just like awful just but they they're crystallized within you aren't they forever yes they can it's like i lost my dad when he was 50 and what have you and he will always be this perfect crystallized human being and obviously sadly you lost your mum age three which i can't can't imagine what that would have what that must be like that must that's that's profound like a different level but um yeah, it's great that you you were able to sort of on I don't know honor honor her yeah, memory a bit. Yeah, I think so, and also just um, end up prolonging the conversation. I think because um, yeah. I felt like I um, with some of the themes in my in my book, I was having a conversation with Lorna. It's just the kind of stuff that she would enjoy kind of uh, digging around in. Um, right, and and so yeah, I think it is a way of of doing that and actually my my next novel i am writing um it's it's fictional but i'm drawing on a, a character who's lost her mother when she's young and i think i'm doing that again i'm kind of, it's like a seance you know you're you're conjuring that, that person again and saying right okay I, I haven't finished with you yet i need i need some more time yeah you you've got to write about what you know and what's in in, in your heart otherwise it's you know that's what people respond to that's why i loved the book so much i felt there was a lot of you in it i don't i i audio booked it so i i um i can't i cannot i have just can't read i get home from work and if i read i am asleep within five seconds because of baby and work and it's just (laughs) yeah it's it's brutal but um but yeah no it's fantastic experience because i haven't i haven't listened to it was it oh my god it's brilliant she, you have to listen to it. She's got an amazing voice. It's beautifully read. I oh. mean, like, 
Yeah, and the the South African just about is passable. It's good. It's just about um, all right. Yeah, no, I was just just, about a, just about all right, eh? Hey, <laughs> hey, baby. Oh, wow. oh dear, my South African accent. Um, <laughs> and what 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 about uh, Jess? Where where was she? Is that is that part you in there, or is it a lot you in there? Um, no, Je I was not. I was not very much like Jess. Um, apart from the fact that I arrived at university as she did um having read too, too many books and uh wanting to have this extraordinary experience i'd read too many campus novels i was like i was right. stoked i was i was i was you know fallow ground for i was you know desperate for the adventure to happen to me um <laughs> absolutely and needless to say it didn't so um so i didn't uh i, I had i guess jess's wide-eyed um uh naivety walking mm. in the fresher um but she is she belongs to the kind of tradition which i always love in a book um which is the observer narrator you know the narrator who who is standing by the sidelines the other characters in the book are, are bigger than her um, but slowly she gets drawn in and realizes that she's she's no longer a bystander that actually she's one of the main players yeah yeah no it's fantastic isn't it i love that oh my god oh beautiful massive rainbows just appeared look at wow. that it's a sign kate you're destined <laughs> for greatness there we go oh where's that pot of gold yeah well exactly yeah <laughs> so no that that's that's great and there's there's obviously some what i what i did enjoy about it is um I mean, see, this is really hard because I don't know whether. I think I'll probably put like a spoiler alert at the head of the head of the um, the episode because I don't really want to. I don't want to spoil anything deliberately, but it's kind of hard not to talk about certain aspects of it. And stop me if you think I'm going yeah. too far. But but the um, like the miss the miscarriage and what have you, not miscarriage, the abortion in in it adds a adds a real dimension and in such an an amazing one because it takes it off in such a a unique deeper level in terms of her Jess is then going to Lorna for help and yeah. and and she still bucks her around like in that yeah. horrible way like that where did where was that coming from I mean obviously you know that's a deep yeah, personal that, question well no so, that that um yeah I just wanted to um I was really playing with the kind of power dynamic obviously between teacher mentor and students mm. uh, and i tried to think of a, a place where you're at your most vulnerable um but the stakes are at their highest um and uh yeah it sort of came to me that there was some there was some of the sort of more graphic moments in the scene in the book um definitely did feel like they they sort of flowed uh from some strange place like the mm. um the the headless lamb that is born at the beginning of the book I that right um which yeah. i kind of wanted to to set the mood you know that something unnatural was afoot um in this family that all was not what it seemed um but yeah no i i did i i tried to make sure um that things felt as uncomfortable as possible, that it wasn't just this sort of 
rather polished coming of age drama or yeah. indeed crime novel that that at every turn you 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 were taken to a place emotionally that you weren't quite expecting well that certainly that certainly worked for me um and it, the dime yeah the dime that added us like another dynamic to that character that was really wasn't necessarily required or what have you but it was just a, a, a depth i wasn't expecting uh, probably because i have i've had my head so far up patricia highsmith's ass for the past like two two <laughs> years <place>. yes <laughs> yeah i don't know is it a good place she was a funny one why but, what um, have you been reading the ripley books i've been i've done i've done all the ripley's but then i've i've I recently did the Blunderer, which was really, yeah, really good. I've got the Blunderer on, on my bedside table as it happens. Oh, great! Oh, wow! I really, really enjoyed it. And um, oh, come on! I did this with Andrew, and Andrew was like, "Oh, have you got... read Castle? <laughs> have you read her?" Um... Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, I think I'm. I mean, it's all. I'm trying to get through all of them on audiobook. Uh, sorry, on Audible, and I think I'm there. I think I'm more or less. Sadly. I'm going to have to start falling asleep after three pages and do it three pages a night, <laughs> you know. I'm a big um I'm a big rereader. So um once you've started once you've finished just go around again. I yeah. I I you know, I think all my favorite books I come back to at different stages in my life. Um yeah. and I often find now um sadly i'm kind of identifying less with the younger characters in the book and a bit like the mid the mid-range ones um yeah. terrified that um you know I'll, I'll i'll know where i am when i start identifying with mrs danvers rather than rebecca <laughs> <laughs> like it's yeah it's funny though it's funny because i i totally get your point there I, and i think that's quite exciting actually because i i used to think i was holding coalfield like definitely yes i was I, I mean, so I related to that. And I, I mean, I've read that when I was at school for private school, for Christ's sake. And when he <laughs> runs away or whatever, I was like, Jesus Christ, I, I want to do that more than anything in the world. I think I used to, well, I used to run away from school, but I used to come back, you know, wasn't, wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't that run. cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I ran away to fucking Petworth. You know. <laughs> if you know where Petworth is. Yeah. You know, okay. Yeah. Isn't Where's he gone? Antique shops and things. It is. Pet. It, it is Kate. It is. You've done. You've done damn well there. Uh, you know, Petworth's a beautiful. It's a sponsor of the show. The the town sponsors this podcast. This, okay, well, this, we, love this, it. Yes. we love God, imagine, imagine being sponsored by an entire town. Uh, anyway, I've, I've gone mad. Uh, God, yeah. You know, the other thing that I really loved about the book was the. Um, it might, you know, something that always gets me going is is a bit of jet setting. And yes. I loved it. Italy. Why Why Italy? Is that, uh, do you always oh, have that in your mind? That, or Yeah, no, that taps into another moment in the many years that I was writing this book. Um, well, it was actually a very key moment, which is my, my sister um, had been standing in an election for the Green Party uh, in Devizes in Wiltshire. Oh, and, uh, and she had just come out of this... Um, few weeks of, of canvassing and was exhausted and she's a writer uh she's written seven maybe eight books she's my elder sister and What's she is called samantha weinberg she's very she's a very talented writer anyway she um uh yes another one for audible for you uh anyway, <laughs> Brilliant. she um she was really in need of a holiday and I, um, and I, both of us do some travel writing and we managed to 
find this gig, which was to take us to the Aeolian Islands just off the coast of Sicily uh, and go for a hiking holiday for a week. Oh, um, right. So this, um, this was when I was, I, I'd just given up the idea of a book, which I, one of the, one of the many books that I realized that I couldn't finish. And, uh, and I was really keen to come up with a teacher pupil dynamic. And I sort of didn't have a s idea of where it was going. And we went on this hiking holiday around Filikudi, which is the island in the book, uh, which is this incredibly, uh, it, it, it's it's an extraordinarily atmospheric island it's 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 remote it's um it's wild there is a kind of ghost village like the one that okay. i described in yeah. the book um and it doesn't have very many inhabitants and when it's off season there's um it's a kind of very um intense and strange atmosphere there uh, anyway as we were we were winding our way around this rugged island um, along these very precipitous cliff paths, uh, I thought, wow, this would be an amazing setting for a psychodrama between two characters. You know, the kind of denouement in a book when something is building and don't know what's what. This is exactly the kind of place where you'd want that to happen. Yeah. Uh, and as I was walking around the island with her, I started talking um this idea through, through which became the truants. Um, so every day we'd go on these long walks and I'd come up with, with slightly different um, parts of the plot. And, uh, and I came back from that whole holiday with an idea for a story, which was, was the basics of, of the book. So how many years ago was that? That was seven years before I published. So I published a year ago. Good Lord, wow. God, it's well, a long I, came back, I came back, um, in my defence, I did come back and uh, realised that I was pregnant. So um, I, then, I then had a kind of bumpy um, bumpy few years on the writing in the sense that I, I um, had two kids. So I was kind of coming in and out and I kept on coming back to this project and I was also still um, a journalist at the time. So yeah. um, I, it, it didn't become full-time until... A, about a year and a half before I published. Um, and oh, then I that. Yeah, it's a journey, isn't it? My God, that's such a journey. I love it. I love it so much. And it, it is um, it is quite interesting. Are you a diarist at all? Well, not necessarily a diarist, but do you, do you, does a moment come to you and you a, a moment of inspiration, even if it's just like, I don't know, you see a specific umbrella walking down Prince Street in Edinburgh and you're like oh my god the way that umbrella moved or something it, the, the sunlight caught it do you write those moments down for for future use or yeah though I'm always writing I'm not an organized person I'm always writing things down in yeah notes and then losing them after the first few pages so if you could gather together all my lost notebooks there would be <laughs> enough material there for a few more books um but not that many of them actually um arrive it, it, you know onto my writing desk but on the other yeah. hand the the fact of writing things down definitely lodges it you know even mm. if you, you you aren't good at um gathering your material in the way i am um mm. there there's there is something when you pause when you take a moment out of life and you say okay that i saw that um there's a there's a good chance you'll retain it some in some way yeah you how do you develop 
Sorry, carry on. Are you a note taker? No, not really. Oh, yeah, yeah, sometimes, sometimes I am. I mean, today, for example, I had this idea, and I've, I've been toying with this idea for ages since since I started reading Ripley, and um, went. I've gone through the Ripley ad and all, you know, all this stuff, and I've just been thinking, you know, I love the idea of writing a book from maybe maybe the you know narrator's point of view. I don't know, um, but someone for on the because I'm a gardener, so I work for some very wealthy people. I'm always on the outside. Um, and I thought maybe if there was a. I'm sorry. So what the gardener saw, you mean? I don't know, not necessarily, but just maybe the gardener's is a psychopath, and he's trying to get inside. And like, so I just, I just thought something like, just like he's trying to get inside the house for whatever reason, for whatever reason that might be, to kill someone, to to steal something, to the, the, the ends. And but I like the idea of like someone being on the out, the outside, and nobody working for millionaires. Um, maybe I'm just playing out what. Well, <laughs> Yeah, I want to do. Dogs. If you're, you're, yeah, you're, your novel would fly, and then you'd end up like losing all your, all your. Right, <laughs> exactly. Just a little bit, maybe um, prison yeah. time, but you know, I could get away with it. Um, but um, how would you like advise people who are listening, who are uh, budding writers, to develop ideas into something that is more like sustainable, that can go the distance, like you did. Yeah. Um, and, and really turn it into something that because uh, I, I believe that once you've got like a few pages of something, the characters start in a way, not always, but in a way they can start to write themselves. Yeah. So, I mean, there are so many ways in um, the most useful thing for me by far is to have someone that I talk to about my about my work. Um, so both my sisters are writers. Uh, my husband's a journalist. I, I use all of them. I use all of them, abuse all of them um, <laughs> as, as um, yeah, as, as people to bounce ideas off and develop plots with. I went through a stage with the truants when I was getting into the really knotty bit of the plotting um, around the kind of crime thread uh, where I would have a weekly conversation that I'd book in with my sister on the phone and just talk her through uh, whatever scene I was trying to kind of tease out. Um, and that was incredibly helpful. A writing group without uh, without um, fail. I, I'm a huge subscriber to writing groups and having some kind of community and being held to account. Um, so and then, you'd, you'd you'd give your material to this writing group and they would they give you feedback. Yeah, you can. There are there are so many you can find online, um, and it and it. I, I don't think it needs to be any particularly amazing level. It can I can be pretty random, but I think the act of exchange and the act of being held uh, by a goal of, you know, whatever it is, might be 500,000 words a, a week or something small. If you, if you hand it over to someone and you ask them to comment on your work, um, yeah. for me, something always comes of that. Um, so the writing group is key. And then in terms of my own, um, how I develop stories myself, it, I definitely start with the characters. Okay. And I will sit down and I'll sort of write a CV or a little biography, potted biography of um, of the different characters and really try and work out who they were before they arrive on the page. You know, what are the kind of key moments in their childhood and what were they like at school, even though that's not going to come up in the story. And um, so they're living for me. Um, and kind of like I what actors do sometimes when they're going into a role. 
Yeah, I guess so. I guess yeah. so. I, I, I need to do that. Other people need to start with the story and, um, and then uh, the characters come after. Um, but I find that story comes from characters. And mm. if, I, if I know my characters well enough, then chances are I'll know how they react to things. And then as soon as that happens, you've got a drama. Yeah, that's great. That's really awesome. So you kind of know what your character would do if he was offered the keys to a Ferrari uh, or whatever, or, you know, yes. yeah, yeah, or like, yeah. in, I don't know, in Jess's case, like, what would she do if she was given, I don't know, a bottle of vodka? You'd know what would happen. It's like, I, I, lo I love I love, that idea, actually. That's really, that's really cool. I, I mean, I've, obviously, there are different ways. I mean, some people, I, I mean, I, I'm like myself, I just, when I, I just I start writing and something something starts, but and then obviously then it never goes anywhere because you've, yeah, you've done no planning. Don't you run out of steam then? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So pl plotting plotting it out, uh, knowing your characters, that's good. That's that's some good. Yeah, knowing your, good knowing your characters and then also kind of knowing a, a turning point or something that shifts in the in a scene. Um, yeah you don't necessarily need to kind of nail it down. But for me, I need to know that some kind of emotional shift or uh, story shift will happen in a scene. Mm. And then, um, and then, you know, going back to what we said at the beginning, too much research can, can tie you down a bit. Um, and I find the same if I've overplotted. So you need to mm. keep it just loose enough to be able to surprise yourself. But yeah. Um, with enough substance to to kind of know where you're going a little bit. That's some really great advice. I love that. I hope someone's getting that and listening to it <laughs> and, and being a, a, inspired by that, because oh. that is cool. That's that's great. <laughs> but what? Um, so was there a, a moment in in writing the truants that you fell deeply in love with what you were doing, and it was just pure sailing? Um, and you and it was in, in you, it was like alive in you and you just you were really engaged in the writing process and there wasn't too much fear or. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the last third of the book, as you know, um, pretty much the last third of the book takes place on this island. And by the time I'd got there, the I mean, there were lots of moments in the book where you a scene comes out like my scene with the, the hearse in the woods at the beginning love she's that um, or, that is uh, brilliant thank you but um, moments where that you you, you know I see, you see an image and you kind of know where you're going and they come out and that's a really exquisite experience when that happens and they're few and far between you definitely in my case have to hack away to get those moments but once I'd reached the island I think crucially I I really knew my two characters and mm. I really knew where I wanted to get to in terms of tension and, um, and a bit in terms of story or quite a lot in terms of story. Uh, and I knew the Island. I, I could sort of smell it. I, you know, I could feel how that would feel for her. Um, so I was really inside it. And at that point, yeah, then, then, then you do, I think, I wouldn't say it's, you lose your fear you i just lost my self-consciousness and at that mm. point writing really does become a pleasure um it's only not a pleasure for me because of the critic on my shoulder yeah yeah no absolutely the 
the devil the devil there like just the self-doubt oh my god I I often wonder how many writers out there that have given up just because of the weight of self-doubt you know it's yeah it's it's so yeah or some well-meaning friend who said you know like mine did maybe you've you've gone at this for too long and maybe you should should um try something else I don't know. I think that is cool because that really, really questions you because you can question yourself as much as you like. But if someone actually comes out, has the nuts to know you well enough and go, look, do you think you're cut out for this shit? You know, and they go and you have to you have yeah. to really yeah, face no, it. Face it. Oh. No, 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 no. I, I salute him for asking the question. But I think I think you can lose your nerve. Um, mm because you, you you know you can worry too much that you know maybe you bored people about this project that you've been kind of writing after work for years and you've you know you're, they're bored of asking you or you're bored of of or you're embarrassed about saying no well I it hasn't really got to the next stage because people always want to know they, they always want good news right so yeah yeah, yeah. That, that feeling when you're you haven't got anything real to tell them no i'm still lost in chapter four and uh i was probably yeah. lost chapter five last time you saw me which was a year ago so God, I've, moved, yeah. I've moved a little bit backwards is not what people want to hear um God, yeah so yeah wrestling with all that self-doubt that feeling of um of um exhaustion you know i've got a good friend who's been going around the book for years and years in the way that I did with the truants. And, you know, she keeps on wondering whether it's time to call it quits. And, um, you know, I know she's a fantastic writer and the, the project is is brilliant, but it's just how to kind of keep yourself going when you're not getting mm. the affirmation. It's really hard. Oh, the motivation is crippling. Mm. Can I can I ask, because you touched on the hearse earlier. Yeah. Um, that is amazing symbolism. I love it so fucking much. I <laughs> was immediately engaged. I was like, yeah, I knew Hearst was in it because of the front cover of the book, which, by the way, the artwork is phenomenal. We have to talk Isn't about it that. Beautiful? Yeah. yeah. So, so cool. But where, did, where the hell did the idea for that come from? Was it like, hey, man, death's coming? Um, yeah, I mean, I remember thinking a long time ago that I wanted to write a short story about, um, I actually had in mind a character who was a pallbearer in a funeral. Um, that's like my uncle, my uncle's a pallbearer. Okay. So, but a pallbearer who, um, who drives hearses for his day job, but, um, in his mind, he's a formula one driver you know he's got this sort of there's that tension between between <laughs> speed and 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 kind of this inching hearse coming into the churchyard every day that he does for his day job so i quite like the idea of, of someone driving a hearse uh not for work you know just deciding yeah. actually we're pretty cool cars to have um and what the psychology of that character would be like um, and it seemed like the kind of sort of pretentious, a bit preposterous thing that a student might do. Um, but also one who's got a particular psychology around where they come from and what's happened to them in the way that Alec does. Uh, and then from then I got to the kind of big windows and what you can see through the back of a hearse and 
the scene made itself. <laughs> it was so so sexy though. I love it. It was so it's stimulating. Good. It's not it's very sad. often that I, I've got to say it's not very often that I'm aroused in in books. I, I, <laughs> I you know, an author's got to work pretty hard. I mean, no pun intended. But you know, and and, and sometimes I just get a little bit. I uh, just oh, just stop the sex. But that's why I like like your 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 book so much because it didn't really. I, I do. I sound a little bit like a um, a grandmother. I don't like the sex. There's no need for it. There's no in the swearing. There's no need for that vulgar language. But um, but yeah, no, it was really tastefully done when you did do it. It was absolutely fantastic. But the um, yeah, the artwork that is yeah. so cool. Who who's behind that? Was that is that uh, you? Did you have any ideas behind uh, that or? No, funny enough, I, I showed my, speaking of Patricia Highsmith, I did show my editor a couple of Patricia Highsmith covers and one with, I think, with um, with trees, with shadows that were falling like they do on the From the which cover era? Cover. From the first editions or from like new yeah, prints? Or? Yeah, old, old editions um, yeah. I found online, which were very cool. Um, but because I was sort of thinking about mood, but the, the artwork was completely the, the genius of this guy, Greg, who works at Bloomsbury and, and has um, also designed that cover that everyone's seeing at the moment, why, why I can no longer talk to white people about race. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And anyway, he's, he's a total genius and he actually bought a little model hearse and laser cut these yellow trees uh, and shot it um so i've got, really? I've got what in yeah. like a studio yeah so i've got little wow. gifts of um of the uh of the hearse sort of zooming onto a um into a yellow wooded scene which is brilliant um oh, but yeah. yeah it's a beautiful cover and i'm really pleased that the paperback kept the hearse there put three characters around it but it kept the hearse in the woods yeah, no, I love it. I mean, it tells a story. In, it's, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't give the story away, but it tells, it gives you such a, and obviously it's an obvious thing to say. I mean, you could probably, I could probably do a separate podcast with, you know, an art designer for, for book covers because they're so unbelievably important. But um, you it, it paints a really great picture. So anyone out there that doesn't know what we're talking about, just, you know, Google it and you'll see it. And it's it's so simplistic. So it's cool. I love flat colours and I love, so like two or three tones. I love it. It's fantastic. Um the, yeah, so. yellow, yellow, black, such striking colours, I think, of fronts of, yeah. fronts of books. But yeah, no, I was um, thrilled when I saw it. I bet, I bet. So what, what was the, um, like, when you've, you've done it, it's ready to go. Yeah. And, and does, does, you know, the, the self-doubts there, is, this, is it good enough? Is, are they going to reject it? What was the process there? Not necessarily the process, but what was the story behind, like, you finally right that's it this is the the perfect draft this is as good as it's going to get um, but it doesn't really happen like that so i wrote a draft i wrote a few chapters of what i thought was just felt like it was good it was good not brilliant but it was good and there was something in it it was alive and the writing you know this this elusive voice we were talking about there was something there that i felt mm. proud to call my own and at that point, I passed it on to my agent, who I'd got many years before um, on the strength of um, bits and pieces, nothing, nothing much. Um, and she said, oh, I, I think this is really good. Um, and she basically coached me into finishing it and then doing one draft, which she advised me on and 
um, an editor. She passed me on to advise me on a bit. And then at that point, it was, um, I basically left the call to her to say, is it ready for publishers to look at? Uh, and then you've got this, you know, white knuckle moment when when they send it off to publishing houses. Um, but then you've really, you know, that there's that also this rather nice feeling of feeling like, okay, now I'm I'm sitting back now. This is this is the this is the business side. Um, and I was really lucky. I got um, at, there was an auction that started around the book, and within a few days. I was talking to various publishing houses and suddenly what? got very excited. Auction? As in like yeah. a bidding war? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, that's like being in an unsigned band <laughs> back in the early noughties. A really, and, and the record label's coming in and going, oh, we're going to sign you, we've seen you once, we don't give a shit. Was, what, what, was that, what was that like? It was unbelievable because having, you know, spent years writing into a void and not knowing whether anything was ever going to be put into print, suddenly you're the um, buyer rather than the seller. You know, they're they're pitching to you. And um, I went for a couple of meetings and had to kind of work out what I thought about their take on the book. Um, Because once it gets into the hands of the publishers, then they have input about what you know how they how they feel that the book can be worked on more before it gets signed off um and then the next exciting thing happens which with with my book which was the the american rights um a bidding war started on on that and then the american editor came in with her views of what she wanted for the manuscript and then suddenly it's like whoa having been in a very very quiet room for years you've you've got a lot of voices um in your head and i was exceptionally lucky i had a brilliant american editor and an um equally brilliant english editor both of whom had different um strengths and um and the you know manuscript went round another two, three drafts, I think probably three drafts before before it finally got sent off to the printers. So it's an unbelievably long process. Yeah, um, it sounds like you've just described my idea of hell. My idea <laughs> is I write it, everyone wants to bid on it, and I just sit back and smoke cigars. And like, oh, that's, yeah, yeah no, that's how yeah. it works. Yeah, and then, and then you're suddenly really working because you're... Um, you know, you're employed then by them and you've got a deadline and it's all very serious. And, um, you know, and then you, and then the, the, the time, the clock's ticking. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but it was also thrilling then because you get this huge amount of creative input, which mm. I'm not a particularly solitary person for some reason. I've decided to be a novelist, which is an incredible <laughs> job and then suddenly I get to um, brainstorm and bounce ideas off and um, hear what people think about my characters and suddenly they're talking about Jess and Lorna and Nick you know like they're real characters and I can't quite believe it Um, so that was yeah I love that bit (laughs) what so in terms of reception like what's that been like because I mean I, I yeah it must be pretty damn awesome let's put it you know i'm not i'm not a very uh i don't know eloquent fellow as you can tell i do f and jeff 
Um, but I'm I'm guessing it's been a pretty good few few months because I know Waterstones picked it up as your as as book as a, a book of the month, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I it's been an amazing ride. So um, it got published uh, last year in hardback, which is this rather antiquated thing that publishers do. Uh, and but very nice for me because I got a beautiful hardback edition of my book. Um, oh, then nice. it. You know, and also that puts out the signal that um, that reviewers uh, that it's review worthy, and then I got a host of lovely, lovely reviews. Um, and then there's a quiet bit again when my American edition launched. But then this paperback came out. Um, they rushed it out. Waterstones picked it as book of the month, um, and they brought it out a month earlier because of that. Um, and that was really moving because I got to go bookstores opened just as, um, halfway through the month of June, which is my, the book, um, book of the month was for June. And I got to go and meet, um, well, I went around about 50 stores. Um, yeah, I saw you on Instagram the other day. I was like, bloody hell, that looks yeah. intense. Yeah. I went, I went around a lot of bookstores, which was amazing and met these incredible booksellers who were all really very happy to be back doing the thing they like doing uh and they they were just incredibly supportive and that was that was a, a joy yeah um, so um no i've been i've been immensely lucky and i know there's a huge amount of luck in the process of what books get seen and picked up and, and what mm. books disappear and um i i got i, I was lucky I was very, very lucky and um, it's amazing because after years of um, of toiling away and not really knowing whether I was going to be published for it to work out the way it has, has been um, doubly sweet. Yeah, and I think you should also take that and double down on your next book and not and just try and silence that thing on your shoulder, that the demon on the shoulder. Um, a little bit more if you can like i know it's easy for me to say but i'm i want a second book and i want it now so <laughs> i don't i'm not going to take any of this seven years shit i'm telling you right now i'm going to be knocking on every door in queen's park to find out where you live like where's my book you know so. yeah i i um i definitely feel like i've run out of excuses um because i'm not popping out any more babies and i'm under contract <laughs> to, i've got under contract to write another book bloomsbury and i know exactly what it is so this yeah. one i hope she says um won't won't take me a very long well as long certainly not as long. yeah uh but Try meanwhile seven months. yeah exactly so, meanwhile, I'll, be, I'll be waiting for your um psychopath gardener book right i think I'm, I'm writing on a memoir at the moment rather than that i just so much so much fucking easier to write honestly kate i I admire writers so much. I don't know how you do it. But um, one quick question before we call it a night. Um, I, I think there's definitely a film here. Like, don't you think there's a film? Well, that's very nice to hear. I've got, um, very excitingly, there are um, a few conversations going on at the moment uh, Great. about about rights and uh, who knows what will happen, but there are some... Um, some enthusiastic people and i very much hope that it um 
will be realized i can't really imagine it it seems like a huge bonus ball if that would ever happen but <laughs> a bonus uh, ball, yeah. yeah but um yeah that would be incredible it'd be amazing to just for it to have a different life that with those characters to because i spent a lot of time with them uh and then for other people to go and play with them sounds great to me particularly in this day and age where you know you've you've just got such a plethora of amazing actors out there directors i mean obviously that's always been the case but you know just to draw on so many fantastic i mean i guess i'm kind of i'm always going to go back to Tantamount, mr ripley but what mingala did there was yeah. i mean tantamount well it was genius it was beautiful i mean god and also he twisted it they rewrote it obviously quite heavily but it still worked so well um but i definitely can and i was just trying but in my mind i was like is this a three-parter on the bbc is this like i don't i was just thinking like how how i would how i'd write it or how it would be like i don't know come to fruition but it's definitely 100 percent a movie in there definitely oh i hope so yeah I hope so. but yeah well, you'll be the first to to know i'll let you <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, kick down your door and asking for the second book yeah right exactly. um yeah uh, thank you so much for your time um well, it's been a real pleasure yeah yeah and oh god I, my, my absolute I, ideal would be to get like three or four writers on a zoom call if that's even remotely possible and to just just talk about books i mean just to talk about like just take one book and just talk about it it'd be so exciting to do that um i did that recently with a guy called um steve um steve almond who's uh, an american writer and he um he's written a book about the uh, the book stoner by john williams oh, um, I love we... that book. oh mm. there you go i should have fucking said this earlier i always do <laughs> oh there's never enough time never but <laughs> yeah. i i, I I uploaded that podcast last week and um, yeah, epic two hour conversation about Stoner. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, well, I'll listen to it. I'm just about to publish a podcast, my author podcast myself, where I talk Brilliant. to other authors about the one book that's helped them the most called Shelf Help. Uh, so, so it's really about Shelf that. Help. That's such a great name. I love that. That's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. And that's um, going to be on iTunes, right? And all the platforms. Yes, all the rest um so uh but yeah I, there's nothing i like more than speaking to another writer about a book that we both love yeah uh, because it's it's i mean it's uh the way people react to characters and the little commonalities you find um it's 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 really exciting it you know it's it's a kind of reference point where you immediately know you're going to like someone if they like that book that you like Oh my God! Let me tell you when I, oh when I touched base with him about Stoner, I think I just mentioned it as I I, I wanted to just talk to him about about him because he does um he, he used to do a podcast with Cheryl Strayed, and I thought yeah I just, I love the guy, but then I found found on his website that he's written this book about Stoner, and he he touched base with me and said oh it's always nice to meet a Stonerian. I was like what the fuck is that <laughs> like that's a thing oh right I'm. I'm part of that world. Great, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just recommended Stoner as one of seven books on the Waterstones website, actually. So it's right up there in my Desert Island books. Um, Brilliant. Uh, I, I, I'll happily join the Stone, Stonarian League. Stone, yeah. Yeah, I'm one of them. Whatever Brilliant. they are. It's got its faults, but it's a wonderful book, man. It's so, also, yeah. as a, I, just to say as well, as a writer, 
it's a it's not only an incredible incredible book but the story of the book uh which you probably discussed in your podcast is such an inspiring one for every writer who feels that kind of no one's noticed that they've got something really good up their sleeve because it was so took so long for it to be discovered or rediscovered oh, uh, God, yeah. and, and then has now taken off and become one of the best selling novels ever so um yeah there's the process of the book's life and as well as what's in between the covers is deeply inspiring yeah and and you know he he died and never realized that he, he saw saw it, it, it's uh, success and you won't ever have to worry about that because you've seen <laughs> your success it's great you know more to come as well i hope so oh thank you yeah. well it's been a real real pleasure and i really hope i get to, to read that memoir of yours so i'll go to it as well yeah yeah right we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> all right then we'll take care thanks so much for coming on